Last, last weekend, uh, we talked about joy to the world uh, the, and talking about let every heart prepare them, prepare room for the king. And we uh, had this whole conversation about how we can help help other people prepare room to receive the king, how we can go ahead of Christ like John the Baptist did and uh, be a part of uh, preparing the way for the gospel. So if you missed that, I encourage you to go out to our website, graceohio.org. You can listen to that or um, you, uh, watch it, which is probably even better because you can see me. And, um, or you can get a podcast for free through iTunes and would encourage you to do that as well. This weekend, we're going to uh, look at the second verse of this song it says this, joy of the world, the Savior reigns, let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat, eat the sounding joy, right? I'm not singing that. I would if you came on Saturday nights or went to the extension, but I'm not going to do it here as, a, uh, as just a, I don't know, it's an extra benefit there if you go there. But that idea is fascinating, joy of the world, uh, the Savior reigns is the phrase that really jumped out to me. The Savior reigns, and then repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. What sounding joy? The joy that the Savior reigns. It's fascinating when you look at the scripture, this idea of telling of the glory of God and telling of the goodness of God is all through the Bible. In fact, in, uh, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus was coming in uh, to Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. And the disciples and the other followers were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the Pharisees went and they, um, they tried to rebuke Jesus. And they said, you better make your followers be quiet. They're not allowed to praise you like that. And Jesus said, if I, if I shut them up, the rocks will cry out. Like I am God and I, I must be praised. I have to be praised. And people must praise me. They must respond to who I am and what I've done for them. In Philippians chapter four, verse four, the apostle Paul says that we're to rejoice in the Lord always. And, and he says, again, I say rejoice. We're to praise God. We're to glorify God. It's, it's a part of being his follower, bar being his family, that we would speak or say the good things of God so that people would know. And that's, that's what Isaac Watts captured in the, in the song there. That's the idea of repeating the sounding joy. I'm gonna let people know. I'm gonna say it again. I'm gonna rejoice and rejoice again in who God is and what God has done and how that has affected my life. Now, when I was uh, reading that and thinking about it, my mind went to Luke chapter two. If you wanna grab your Bibles, you can open up there with me. Luke chapter two is page 716 in those Bibles that are in the chairs. And Luke chapter two is really the, the part of the, cre of the uh, uh, Christmas narrative that we know the most, right? It's the one that we read the most and hear about the most. In Luke chapter two, uh, you find my favorite guys in the, in the Christmas narrative, the shepherds. And you look at those starting in verse eight, and I bet, you, I bet you you're familiar with these verses or at least they ring a bell when you uh, hear the story here, verse eight, chapter two of Luke. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this is the sign that will be to you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in the manger. 
And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angel had left them and gone to the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. And when they had seen him, here it is, they spread the word concerning what they had been told, told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The, the shepherds hear of this Messiah, this Savior that's come to save them and love them. They go, they find Jesus. They spread the word. They're repeating the sounding joy of the message that they receive from the angel. They interact with the baby. They go back. They're glorifying and praising God. They're repeating the sounding joy of everything that they had heard or seen. And you know that that event marked them forever, right? That they were known as the angel guys from there on out. And their, their buddies were huddled up and they would be like, oh, here comes Haggai. He's going to tell that story about the angels again, right? It, you, you know that that was a huge part of their life because it was a life-altering event. Their interaction with Christ, their interaction with Christmas was this life-transformational event and it's meant to be that way. It was for them. It's meant to be for us. And when your life is altered by God, that's something that's going to come out of your life, right? When you've discovered this amazing thing, this thing that you love, it's going to be the thing that you talk about the most, right? And so we joke about this stuff all the time, right? How do you know, how do you know somebody's an Ohio State fan, right? They'll tell you, right? How do you know somebody's a vegan? They'll tell you. How do you know somebody's a CrossFitter? They'll tell you, right? Any, how do you know your diet worked? You're telling everybody. When, when something has affected you deeply, you tell it, you repeat the sounding joy, you spread the good news. And for these men, these shepherds, the idea that a savior came, joy to the world, the savior reigns, that a savior king showed up in their life was a life-altering event that caused them to speak the praise and the glory of God. Now, I was thinking about the shepherds, and I, I love who they are, and I love that God interacted with them, and I was thinking about how they would have seen the world before they interacted with Christ. Why was this so transformational to them? And they would have thought of the arrival of Jesus through the grid of the Old Testament prophecies. So if you flip back in your Bible, let's look at one of these prophecies. It's probably like 300 pages back to the left in your Bible. In fact, it's page 478 and the Bible's there in the chairs. And go to Isaiah chapter eight and nine. This is probably the most famous of the Old Testament prophecies. So this is hundreds of years before Jesus arrived. God, through his prophets, spoke and said, this is what the Messiah is going to be like and look like, and you'll know you find him when you find these things. This is what he's, how he's going to affect the world. And this would have very much been the, the, the purview of the shepherds. If you look at verse all 22 of chapter 8 of Isaiah, they will, they will look toward the earth and only see, see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom 
and they will be thrust into utter darkness. When, that's talking about the people, what people are going to be like before the Messiah arrives. And that would have been what the shepherds would have done. They would have looked at their world and they would have seen distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And that would have been their perspective on the world. So the shepherds were guys who were kind of the, the bottom of the bottom is the way to think of it. They're the bottom of the bottom. So in their religious system, in their subculture, in ancient Judaism, they would have been the bottom rung of that ladder, okay? Because the shepherds were, by their occupation, consistently ceremonially unclean. So in the ancient Jewish world, everything functioned on a set of laws, and those laws had all kinds of cleansing rituals and all kinds of things that you were supposed to keep yourself from, all kinds of ways that you couldn't interact with other people. And if you did not keep these laws and keep especially these cleansing rituals, you were not really invited to the synagogue. And if you did get to the synagogue, you weren't invited to go in and interact with the religious systems that would have led to the forgiveness of your sin. So the shepherds, there was laws like you can't touch anything dead. Uh, laws like you can't touch anything with blood on it. Uh, laws like you, you can't handle dead flesh, like a slaughtered lamb, those kind of things. And so being a, a, a farmer, a shepherd, right, that, that would have been a constant part of your day. If you think of a, what a farmer's hands would look like at the end of the day. And so they were basically cut off from their access to God, and the shepherd position would have been a lowly position. In fact, most of their highest religious leaders would have looked at them and thought, uh, the reason that you are stuck being a shepherd must be because your grandfather or your father sinned, did something, and that's why you were born into this system. And in the ancient world, if you were born a shepherd, you stayed a shepherd. It was very much a caste kind of a system. So they were the bottom rung of that social subculture, right? Now, as an ancient Jew then, the ancient Jews were the bottom rung of the geopolitical culture because the Jews were a conquered people. The Romans ruled them. And ruling or governing the Jewish people was kind of the assignment that nobody wanted. They were a cantankerous people because they wanted to be free. In fact, I would say North Americans could very much relate to an ancient Jewish person. You don't tell us what to do, right? We'll get bristly about that. Well, that was their life. Don't tell us how to worship. Don't tell us what to say. You're in our land, right? And they're a conquered people. So the Roman government, if you got the assignment to govern the Jewish quadrant of the Roman Empire, you, you made somebody mad, right, to get that assignment, and they were always rebelling and always fighting back and always causing some kind of dissension. So the Jewish people were the bottom rung of the Roman government and the shepherds were the bottom rung of the, of the Jewish people. They were the bottom of the bottom. Here they are, right? And that meant that they're stuck in life. They don't have, there is no upward mobility. If you're born a shepherd, you're gonna be a shepherd. There is no future that you're looking forward to. Ancient people, in fact, impoverished people, they don't live life forward, they live life backwards. So most North Americans, we live life forward. Where we think about what we're gonna do after we gather here this weekend. We think about what we're gonna have for lunch and what game we're gonna watch and what our schedule is next week and that Christmas is coming. We think life forward. Most ancient people, and even today impoverished people, they think backwards. They think in terms of myth and tradition and that defines their present. 
So what did grandpa do? What did grandma do? What did my mom do? That dictates what I have to do. And so they would have looked and said, well, grandpa was a shepherd, dad was a shepherd, I'm a shepherd, I'm stuck being a shepherd. There was no idea of a dream or a future or anything. It was very much an existence lifestyle. And so when they looked at their world, personally, culturally, geopolitically, it, it was not awesome to be a shepherd, right? They, they would have looked at the world and they would have seen distress, they would have seen darkness and fearful gloom. Distress because it's a very difficult life, right? Darkness because there's no future. Fearful gloom, that's the idea of anxiety. The Roman government could come in and take whatever they wanted whenever they wanted to do it, and there's not a thing in the world that you could do about it. There was no such no idea of security or building wealth, and that was their life. You get up every day, go see what the sheep are doing, hang out with the sheep, go to bed in the tent, get up the next day, go see what the sheep are doing, hang out with the sheep, go to bed in the tent, get up the next day, go see what the sheep are doing, go to bed, get up the next day, violate the Sabbath, now I can't go to the temple because I have to work, back to the tent. And I mean, there was an ESPN, there was nothing. I mean, this is, this is just how they lived, okay? Now, into all that, you're out, you just, you clocked in one night, pulled the night shift, because Steve's on vacation, so you're covering for him. And all night, the angels break through the darkness, they make this proclamation that a Messiah is here, and you, as an ancient Jewish person, would have interpreted that, that as a savior king. Joy to the world, the savior reigns. They would have very much heard it that way, a savior king. Somebody who's gonna come and interact with me and somebody who's gonna free me or at least cause me to raise above the frustration of my existence. And this hope comes in that Isaiah speaks about. A great light has dawned, verse two, verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God and everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there is no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time forward. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And those words would have resonated deeply in these shepherds, and that would have caused their lives to be changed dramatically. And that's why they kept repeating the sounding joy, right? Because they discovered a savior king and it transformed their life. Now let's look at what they discovered and what I want us to do is try to transport ourselves back and think about what it would be like if this child had never been born and the son had never been given. And we'll do that a little bit through the shepherd's eyes. So they get this great news that a child is born, the son is given, the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called a wonderful counselor. Let's just take a minute and like, let's try to imagine a little bit what it would be like if there was no wonderful counselor for you and I to have access to. What if in our life, our existence boiled down to our knowledge and ability to only find, to, to find our way? And all I ever had was the myths of the past, the traditions of the past, and what I perceive to be my own instinct. What if there was never a wonderful counselor? What if there was no word of God? 
And in that word of God, we couldn't find things like eternal truth that could help to govern and shape our lives. In the word of God, there's, there is no such thing as the golden rule. There, there is no such thing as, as truth and lies. There is no commandment that thou shalt not commit murder. None of that's gone. All there is is myth and tradition and my personal instinct. There is no wonderful counselor. As when, when you look at that and you start to think about a world set up like that, what you find is a world of darkness and distress and fearful gloom. Because without a wonderful counselor, without the truth of God's word and the leading of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing to offset the base or instincts of man. We see it on our televisions almost daily right now. You don't agree with me, I just kill you. You have something that I want, I just take it. You're no longer beneficial to me, I just leave you. That's the base or instincts of man. That's man's inhumanity to man. What countered that? What countered that was the wonderful counselor. Jesus countered that. The Holy Spirit, God's word, counters that. It brings in a global view, an eternal view, a higher view, a truth that we cannot find within ourselves, but we can find within God's word. And this was the life that the shepherds lead. The shepherds were ruled by a a horrible king named Herod. If you read Roman history, he was one of the cruelest rulers in all of Roman history. And that's the way it worked. If they didn't like you, they just killed you. If if you had what what, what they wanted, they just took it. And here they find this child, a wonderful counselor. For the first time, I can think beyond my tradition. I can think beyond a myth. I can think beyond the weather. And, and I, can, I can see, I can have access to the wisdom of God. You pull that out. And the things that you find hope in and the things that you find joy in, those avenues are removed because you're left to yourself. You put the wonderful counselor back in and all of a sudden you can move toward the things in life that fill you up, give you joy, give you hope. And they found that for the first time when they found the baby that night. When they looked at the baby, they saw a wonderful counselor. When they looked at the baby, they saw a mighty God. They saw a mighty God. See, this was huge. Because if there is no God, not only do I not have access to any kind of truth, it means that I have access to no power outside of myself. There's no mighty God. So when I pray, I'm just speaking to the air. There's no hope that a God bigger than my circumstances or a God bigger than my understanding or a God bigger than the government would in any way interact with me. In fact, if you're an ancient shepherd, you, you don't even have access to the temple. Like the, the priest isn't even gonna go pray that prayer for you. There's no such thing. There, there is no hope of salvation. There, there is no hope of a future because there is no mighty God. So when they go and they find this baby that was born and given to them, that all shifts dramatically. There, there's a mighty God. All of a sudden, the New Testament says that because of Christ, when I receive my salvation in Christ, I personally can go into the throne room of God and make my request known to him. I can interact with God 
directly. It, it is hard for us to even imagine a world where that's not the case. Even most Americans who, whether it doesn't matter how devout or, or sincere they are with their faith, I think the stats is like, it's like 90 plus percent of Americans pray. We believe in a mighty God. We believe that when we pray, something happens. Remove that from the equation. All you gotta do is take Christmas out of the picture and all that goes away. There's no access, there's no hope, there's no, there's no hope of the miraculous, there's no joy of seeing God answer prayer. It's all ripped away and we're back to living the shepherd's life that are distressful, that are dark, and it's full of fearful gloom. But a child has been born, right? A son has been given, Christmas happened, and that's transformational to the way that we exist and the way that we function even today. They found the wonderful counselor. They found a mighty God. They found an everlasting father. I think this is one of the biggest ones. This idea of an everlasting father is, is huge, huge. When you think about what the, our heavenly father did when he asked his son Jesus to come to earth to be born of a virgin, when he started the, 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 uh, the journey to the cross by arriving in the manger that night, the idea of an everlasting father is this. It's that there is a God who invites us into relationship with him. Now, you're an ancient shepherd and your life is marked not by invitation, your life is marked by rejection, okay? You, you may be accepted by the other shepherds because you're all stuck in the same barrel with each other. But every time you go outside of that, you're the bottom of the bottom. Your life is marked by rejection. So you go to church, if you can even get to the synagogue, right? You get there, you walk in, and everybody is like, get the Febreze out, the shepherds are here. It's that, it's that kind of mindset. They're fresh from the field, farm fresh shepherds, right? And you walk in, then you run in, and people have distorted the law of God, so they're charging these exorbitant uh, uh, temple tax for you to offer a sacrifice. So it's like buying a hot dog at the Browns game, right? It's like $400. So even, and you're impoverished, so somehow you come, so if you could even come up with that, then you pay the tax, then you give it, you buy the animal or whatever it is to get your sacrifice made, then the priest looks at you and says, you're unclean, you have to go cleanse yourself for seven days or whatever it is, and you're looking and saying, I can't not shepherd for seven days, it's, it's the only way that I exist. Everything about your life is one block after another when it comes to getting into your relationship with God. And then the angels show up and you go find this child and you find out that one of the qualities of that child is that he's an everlasting father. A father that protects, a father that invites, a father that wants. And this is one of the most basic human needs, right? Some of, some of us cannot relate to this even now. When you think about your father, you think about someone that can't be pleased. You think about someone who rejects, someone that abandoned, someone you don't even know, someone that left. 
And the idea that, that now I go through life and I go through life without the protection of my father, without the guidance of my father, and more importantly than any of those things, without the invitation of my father. One of the greatest things a father does for his children is he lets them know that they make him proud, that he accepts who they are. And the shepherds come in, and for the first time, maybe in their lives, they find a father God, a creator, who not only loves them, and not only will make a way of escape for them, and not only will rule and reign, but invites them into relationship. Not a God that pushes them away and raises the bar so high that they can never jump it, but a God who sends his only son to make a way for them an everlasting father. And in a world that's dark and distressed and full of fearful gloom, the idea that my heavenly father would break into that in order to invite me and make a way for me is a life-changing idea in truth. They find a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace, a prince of peace. I have never, uh, I've never had to live in a war-ravaged land, right? Some of you have, some of you have uh, served our nation, our country served us, and you've been in combat, and you've seen a war-ravaged land. But when you think about fearful gloom, that's the idea, that there's a war-ravaged land, that everything's broken and everything's burned down and everything's insecure and you are powerless and you are defenseless and you are anxious and you are tense and there is no appeal, right? So that, that you look and say, something bad happens to me, who am I supposed to call? The police are gone, the army's curved. There is no appeal and everything around me is marked by death and destruction. The closest I've ever been to that is when we go to Central Africa. And, and death in Central Africa is a very common thing. Death in our, in our country tends to be something that's far off. It's a shock or a surprise. In the, in the third world, death is just a normal part of life. There's no great shock. And when it happens, it causes deep, deep insecurity and anxiety. The idea that there's someone who will give me peace. There's a prince of peace. There's someone that would, would alleviate that anxiety. Someone that would rescue me from it. Someone that would protect me. A heavenly father that brings peace. He doesn't bring a drunken rage into the house. He brings calm and peace and security into the house. Uh, the idea that there's a mighty God who brings peace. That's his, he's not, he's not exercising his vengeance. He's not gonna burn the city down. He came to bring us peace, to help us, to, to exercise his power for that. A wonderful counselor that does not counsel us into rebellion and doesn't counsel us into, but counsels us into peace, see? This was foreign to them. You, you pull Christmas out of the equation and all that becomes foreign. It becomes weird. It becomes something that you've never had a part of your life but you plug it in and it's life changing. It's something you would glorify God for, you would spread the news about, right? 
And in the child, they found the Prince of Peace. They found a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace. And then this, verse 7, of the greatness of his government and his peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. You have to think of these guys when they would go, when they would clock in at night and they go out to watch the, the shepherds in the fields at night, watching the sheep. What are they talking about, right? So they're, they're talking about the things that you and I would talk about if we were working the night shift and trying to pass the time. So they're going to they're gonna talk about like their wives and their family, you know, yeah, my oldest son, Jedediah, I don't know what he's doing, you know. And they talk about their wife, you know, Elizabeth, she messed up the matzo bread. You know, they're going to talk, they're going to have all those kind of conversations. They're going to talk about the sheep. Yeah, it looks like the sheep, the sheep, the sheep harvest is going to be a little low this year. Great, I was going to pay off the wagon, right? They're going to have all those kind of conversations. And then just like us, they're going to talk about the government and the frustrations that they have with the government. See, some things are timeless, Frustration at the government is timeless. And they're going to talk about the culture. And they're going to talk about what it used to be. When, when we were ruled by Jewish leaders, it used to be this way. But then the Romans got elected and they messed everything up. But they're going to, they're going to have those conversations. Except for them, those were life and death conversations. They're ruled by Herod. Herod, he killed his way out of his problems. You should read the history of Herod sometime if you ever want to geek out on Bible stuff. It's fascinating. The most dangerous place in the world to be was in Herod's home. He had his wives killed. He would have his sons killed. He was depraved. He was disease-ridden. He, he was a pedophile. He, he was the most disgusting human being you can imagine. And if you crossed him or hurt him or he thought you were suspicious in some way, he, was, he would just kill you. Just a depraved human being. In fact, when the wise men told Herod that they thought the king of the Jews had been built, he just went and committed infanticide and killed all the kids two years and younger. That was his solution to everything. And that was who these guys lived under. The Roman government, a cruel government, a high-tax government, and just like you and I, when they talked about those things and they talked about the, the breaking down of the culture and they talked about the violence in the world and they saw the problems and wondered why the government doesn't have any common sense and all the hypocrisy and all the ways that the powerful insulate themselves, the government would often rest on their shoulders. Just like you would maybe get so tense about that. You'd hear something on the news or you're listening to talk radio or whatever and you would just tense up, oh, why can't they just, uh, politicians, the IRS, uh, and that stuff just gets in us and there's nothing unique about us with that. And the idea now that a child has been born, a son has been given, ready? And the government is on his shoulders. His government has no end. The, the only government that's going to last forever is the kingdom of God. Every earthly kingdom rises and falls. That, that is the path of history and it always will be. You don't get great and stay great. You eventually collapse and somebody digs up your ruins later on. This government has no end. The idea that I don't have to be a citizen of Rome 
but I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, and that kingdom is defined by justice and righteousness, and I can look at this child and I can take that stress and that pressure that distress, that darkness, that fearful gloom, and I could take that weight off of my shoulders and put it onto his. And you start thinking about how transformational that is. And then you add it up with everything else, that there's a wonderful counselor, there's a mighty God, there's an everlasting father, there's a prince of peace, there's a righteous government that I'm a citizen of. And suddenly you see why the shepherds left spreading the good news, glorifying and praising God, and all they ever talked about was the night they found the baby. And they would repeat the sounding joy and repeat the sounding joy and repeat the sounding joy. Why? Because they were introduced to their Savior who reigns, the Savior King. Who, who sets them free spiritually, personally from their sin and their death spiritually and then who supersedes all of the earthly frustrations and pressures that they would sit around and talk about. And they would tell that and tell that and tell that. And guys, if you, if you can just try to remove Christmas from the equation of your life, and, and just pull it away and, and live in a, a totally humanistic, secular place. What you'll find is that you're gonna, you're gonna lose most of the things that bring you joy and meaning in life because we're created to be eternal. We're not created to exist. We're created to live for a future, not be stuck in a past. And Christmas is the linchpin that shifts all that around in our lives. See, it changes everything. If you could, if you could trace joy and hope, if you could do that in your personal life and then on a, a big scale, if you could trace joy and hope back to its very, very origins, you would wind up in a little cave with a bunch of animals in the far ancient Near East and you would meet two young parents, a bunch of shell-shocked shepherds and a child, a child that's been given to you, a son that was born for you and the hope that you need, and the relief that you need, and the joy that you need, the things that we, we actually depend on these things in our lives are all gonna be right there because that child is the savior king. In fact, he's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. Okay. Now, I don't know what field you're sitting in, right? But I would bet that at least some of us are sitting in fields that are marked by distress and darkness and fearful gloom. That for some of us, the, the holidays do not bring good tidings of great joy. They bring bad memories of painful interactions. 
And I would say to you that in the middle of that field, a child has been born, a son has been given. There is something greater because of Christmas that can be locked into. And the gift has to be received. It's all in the manger. Some of us are in a field where, where it, it, it's, it's the culture. And, and what, what Christmas does is it amplifies the godlessness of the culture. It just drives us nuts, right? And the materialism and, and the lack of holiness and the lack of sacredness and they're trying to take the nativity off the main street and now they're suing us about this and I can't believe they're doing this and Santa Claus has a weight problem and, and it's a, the red cup, the red cup, right? The cover of the devil. And, it, and it, it, it's, when we look, it's all, it's tense, and the government is on our shoulders. And there's some real reasons why that would be frustrating. And the baby said, I'll take it. Let the government be on my shoulders. I reign. And the violence of the world and the decadence of the world, those are my battles to fight. What you're called to do is love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Vengeance is mine, justice is mine, righteousness is mine. I raise up the kings, I tear them down. I'll carry that burden. You carry the, you carry the debt of love. I'll carry everything else. And unto you, a child is given, a son is born, see? You might be in a field, you might be in that field just because it was your night to work the night shift. I don't know, man, I just showed up, these angels popped out of the sky, I don't know what was happening. I mean, I had a rough night Friday, but I thought I was over it, and, right? And you're in that field, and you're, you're just existing. You're going to work, you're trying to pay off your school debt, you're just trying to make it happen, you're trying not to run the credit card, it's just normal everyday life and life doesn't have a bigger calling and it doesn't have a bigger purpose the life that you live is whatever happens that day and I would say to you that unto you a child has been born a son has been given that the direction and the hope and the purpose of life is all found in that major see how it works you pull Christmas out and the natural state of humanity is darkness, distress, and fearful gloom. You put the child in the manger, and all of a sudden we're interacting with the Savior King. Christ literally shifts everything. And that is the source of our joy. That is the source of our hope. And this is why Jesus, it's why the Apostle Paul, it's why Sir Isaac Watts all said, we should tell people about this. This is incredible that it, but for Christ, here am I. But because of him, I have, I have a different outlook, I have a different ability, I have a different, I have a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace.
and he'll handle it for me. Right? So joy to the world. Joy to the world. That's the best news you're going to hear all day. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. And that is a joy that we should repeat and talk about, accept, receive, and be changed by, right? I'm gonna pray for us, and uh, guys, I, I actually, I have a friend, uh, David Ferguson, he always says we need to do the book. I love that phrase, do the book. He's like, just don't hear the book, don't read the book, do the book. So I actually encourage you to repeat the sounding joy. I, I encourage you, I watched some folks do this last night, Go to Twitter, go to Facebook, go to Snapchat. If you don't know what those things are, ask your eighth grader. And, and, and send the, in fact, I put some Christmas cards in the back of your chair. Take a Christmas card home and write it and send it to somebody. But let's be people of joy. Let's be people of hope. There's enough cynicism and criticism and frustration on the planet. There, we, it, there's no lack of it, so there's no point of us pitching in. But what if we spread the good news? What if we repeated the sound? What if we just said publicly the good things God has done for our lives? What if we said publicly what we're grateful for about Christ? What if we rejoice in the Lord always, and again I said rejoice? What if we said that stuff? What if we told everybody what was going on? What if it became true of you? Here comes Bill. He's that Jesus guy. He's always grateful for something. I hate that guy. Right? What if, what if we just grabbed that identity and in our little spheres of influence decided that we're going to be the proclaimers of joy and hope? So I, I kind of dare you to do that. I double dog dare you to do that, okay? And, and let's, let's be like the shepherds a little bit. It's Christmas. Look what our Savior King has done for us, right? We, should, we shouldn't be shutting up about that. And let's, uh, let's be a part of spreading the good news like the shepherds were. So I dare you to do that. I dare you to accept it. I dare you to remember it. I dare you to see it. We do not need to live in dark, distressful, gloomy fear, fearful gloom, Right? because we're people of hope and people of joy, and that comes from the fact that our Savior reigns. All right, let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for you, Lord. This, this is so huge. Lord, I just pray it never becomes familiar. That's the hard thing. We, are, we take your grace for granted. We're so used to living in it that we forget to even identify it for what it is. Uh, we, we assume that our joy comes from our wealth or our freedom or all of those things are from you. Every good and perfect thing comes from you. So God, let us receive this joy that is bigger than circumstances. Let us lock in and live by this hope. And Lord, let us even be proclaimers of it. Let us be the, the Jesus people, the Christmas people who share the good news and tell of the wonders of your love. God, lead us that way. Bring to our hearts and our minds right now even people that we can encourage, that we can love, that we can build into. God, to love our neighbor as ourself and let us be changed through Christmas. Help us that and even now in your name we pray, amen.